It's Wednesday Wonders, science fiction and fantasy on the Mutual Audio Network. The following audio drama is rated PG for parental guidance. We orbit around Shared Star. Our linguists used electromagnetic signals escaped from Blue Planet. Translate vocalizations of dominant species. Humans, they call themselves. They are creatures caring only for self. Believe they dominate planet and all its manifestations. Unaware actions make dangerous challenges beyond abilities to address. We are cool and unsympathetic to their mistakes. The ancient ones gave us a mission Slowly and surely, we make plans against these humans. Welcome to Reimagined Radio, a program that explores radio storytelling. I'm John Barber. In 1938, a radio drama used innovative narrative techniques and realistic sound to tell a story about the invasion of Earth by beings from Mars. Today, more than 80 years later, this story still resonates. This episode of Reimagined Radio celebrates that radio drama, but also seeks to amplify its retelling. Our adaptation places the story in present day, centers the action and characters locally, and introduces many cinematic sound and storytelling techniques of our own design. I hope you enjoy our adaptation of The War of the Worlds, performed by The Voices. Oh. And by the way, I strongly recommend that you listen using headphones. All right. Welcome, everyone. I'm Brad Richardson, the executive director here at the Clark County Historical Museum. And thank you for joining us tonight. The mission of the Clark County Historical Museum is to gather, save, and share the pieces and the stories of Clark County history. Now, (laughs) the years 2020 and 2021 gave us a lot to actually work with. We have the COVID virus, isolation, businesses, entertainment, and cultural venues shuttered, jobs lost, Others conducted remotely, contentious elections, police shootings, protests, the January 6th insurrection, Brood X, murder hornets, the Delta variant, drought, flooding, hurricanes, wildfires, and on and on and on. And then the Martian invasion. So Martians landed near Vancouver, and after wreaking havoc in their flying machines, several died in our downtown public park. 
the exhibit that we're opening today, The Martian Invasion, Different Perspectives, gathers stories about the Martian invasion, saves them as collective memory, and shares them as a part of our community's history. Now, our featured speaker is Professor Rowena Pearson, an eminent astronomer and scientist. Professor Pearson retired from her academic position at Princeton University, and now she lives in Vancouver. She is firsthand witness to the events depicted in our new exhibition, and she's going to provide both the professional and personal perspective. So without further ado, let's welcome Professor Rowena Pearson. Thank you so much for the welcome and the opportunity to speak to you tonight. Now, my comments may trigger painful memories, and for that, I apologize. It's not my intention to upset you, but rather, as promised in the title of this exhibition, provide you with different perspectives. In the 21st year of the 21st century, near the end of October, we were confronted by a surging global pandemic more business closures, and job losses. On the night of October 30th, perhaps you were listening to the radio and heard... For the next 24 hours, not much change in temperature. A low-pressure system up in the Gulf of Alaska is coming our way. This is moving rapidly into the Pacific Northwest. Now, it will bring a forecast of some rain. We'll get some wind, maybe up to gale force. Maximum temperature about 66. The low will be around 40. This weather report comes to you from meteorologist Rod Hill, and I will be back later this evening for another update. Right now, we take you to the Meridian Room in the Hotel Columbia in downtown Vancouver, where you will be entertained by a program of music already in progress. This is a bulletin from the Pacific Northwest Broadcasting System. Ladies and gentlemen, we interrupt our program of dance music to bring you a special bulletin from the Pacific Northwest Broadcasting System. This is Carl Phillips reporting. At 20 minutes before 8 Pacific time, Professor Rowena Pearson, retired from the observatory at Princeton and now living in Vancouver, reports observing several explosions of incandescent gas occurring at regular intervals on the planet Mars. The spectroscope indicates the gas to be hydrogen and moving towards the Earth with enormous velocity. Professor Pearson describes the phenomenon as, quote, like a jet of blue flame shot from a gun, unquote. We return you now to the Meridian Room of the Columbia Hotel and a program of music. Those regular explosions of hydrogen gas on the planet Mars were our first indication of what lay ahead. Sadly, we didn't know this at the time. We have learned a great deal about the Martians since they arrived. For example, we learned the Martians made recordings chronicling their invasion of Earth. Yes, recordings of Martian vocalizations are a significant scientific and historical discovery. <laughs> 
as they provide another perspective through which to understand their invasion of Earth. We found recordings in one of the Martian fighting machines recovered from Esther Short Park, and now on display here at the Historical Museum. Ladies and gentlemen, it is an honor to play for you the first ever recording of communication by a living species alien to planet Earth. Our interplanetary space vehicles launched from underground hiding places near planets South Pole. We are hundreds strong, riding flames of bright blue hydrogen, rising above the gravity of our planet and falling toward the blue planet. We travel quickly, confident in mission. Yes, amazing, isn't it? That we can decipher and understand the communication of Martians is nothing short of miraculous. Thanks and kudos to Mark Rose of Fuse Audio Design, who used a suite of exotic vocal recognition programs. And a 1949 Russian wire recorder he found in a local pawn shop to translate these recordings and make them available for us to hear. Now, knowing that the Martians had a reason for coming here, indeed, as the recording states, we're on a mission, we continue with our story as it unfolded on the radio. Ladies and gentlemen, Due to the unusual nature of the news given in our bulletin a moment ago, we have arranged an interview with noted astronomer Professor Rowena Pearson here in Vancouver. Professor Pearson first reported the event and will give us her views. In a few moments, we will take you to her private observatory atop the Smith Tower in downtown Vancouver. We return you until then to a program of music already in progress. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. This is Carl Phillips speaking to you from the observatory of Professor Rowena Pearson. She maintains this private observatory atop the Smith Tower in downtown Vancouver. This is the same building in which our radio studio is located, so coming here for this interview took only a moment. I am standing in a large semicircular room, pitch black, except for an oblong split in the ceiling. Through this opening, I can see a sprinkling of stars that cast a kind of frosty glow over the intricate mechanism of the huge telescope. The ticking sound you hear is the vibration of the mechanisms that drive this large telescope that Professor Pearson uses to scan the heavens. She stands directly above me now on a small platform, peering through a giant lens. Professor, may I begin our questions? Certainly, Mr. Phillips. Professor, would you please tell our radio audience exactly what you see as you observe the planet Mars through your telescope? I see a red disk swimming in a black sea. Markings on the disk represent geological features like canyons and dry lake beds, as confirmed by our roving craft on the surface and satellites orbiting the planet. Mars is quite distinct now because it is at the point nearest Earth in its orbit around the sun, in opposition, as we call it. Blue planet, seen with long-range viewscopes, is dark-colored 
as lazulite found in lowest levels of former river courses and bodies of water on my planet. Swimming in black space, a beautiful but treacherous view as we approach at tremendous speed. Any sign of the mysterious blue eruptions, Professor? There is no evidence at this time of the eruptions of blue flames I reported earlier. In your opinion as a scientist, Professor Pearson, what are the chances that living intelligence as we know it exists on Mars? I'd say the chances against that are a thousand to one, Mr. Phillips. And yet, how do you account for those explosions of hydrogen gas occurring on the surface of the planet at regular intervals? I cannot account for them. Their appearance is an uncharacteristic deviation from centuries of observations of the planet Mars. Perhaps it is the result of sudden volcanic eruptions caused by the earthquakes our remote-controlled rovers can hear below the surface. I don't know. More studies must be conducted. By the way, Professor, for the benefit of our listeners, how far is Mars from Earth? Approximately 40 million miles. Well, that seems like a safe enough distance, right? Far enough to preclude any visits from Martians? Just a moment, ladies and gentlemen. An assistant has just handed Professor Pearson a message. While she reads it, let me remind you that we are speaking to you from the observatory in Vancouver, Washington, where we are interviewing the world-famous astronomer, Professor Rowena Pearson. One moment, please. Professor Pearson has passed me this message, which she has just received. Professor, may I read the message to the listening audience? Certainly, Mr. Phillips. Ladies and gentlemen, I shall read you a message addressed to Professor Pearson from Dr. Gray of the National History Museum, New York. The message reads, 9.15 p.m. Pacific Time. Seismograph registered shock of almost earthquake intensity occurring within a radius of 20 miles of Vancouver. Please investigate. Signed, Lloyd Gray, Chief of Astronomical Division. Professor Pearson, could this seismic shock possibly have something to do with the eruptions of hydrogen gas you recently observed on the planet Mars? Hardly, Mr. Phillips. This is probably a meteorite of unusual size, and its arrival at this particular time is merely a coincidence. However, we shall conduct a search as soon as we can travel to the location. Thank you, Professor. Ladies and gentlemen, we've been speaking to you from the observatory at Vancouver, bringing you a special interview with Professor Rowena Pearson, noted astronomer. This is Carl Phillips speaking. We return you now to a musical program in the Meridian Room of the Columbia Hotel, situated in downtown Vancouver. You are listening to The War of the Worlds, performed by The Voices, a dynamic group of voice actors for Reimagined Radio. We'll continue with our story in just a moment. Programming like this is brought to you through the generous support of our founding sponsors at ADCO, Commercial Printing and Graphics, Clark County's local print shop since 1993. ADCO features stationery, posters, flyers, tickets, business cards, stickers, catalogs, and much more. Print on anything and mail anywhere. 
Learn more at adcothenumber1.com. That's adcothenumber1.com. KXRW would like to thank Craft Cannabis, our exclusive cannabis sponsor for supporting our radio community. Their wide variety of products range from edibles, pre-rolls, concentrates, vapes, CBD topicals, tinctures, and much more. Craft Cannabis for 21 and over now has two locations in Vancouver. The newest shop is on Andreessen Road off Patton Parkway next to Home Depot. The Mill Plain location is in the Heights Shopping Center. Ordering options include online, in-person, curbside, and express window touchless pickup to better serve you. Hours and more information available at craftcannabis.com. A big thank you to Vancouver's own Kiggins Theatre for supporting our radio community. Our historic Kiggins Theatre has a long tradition of showing movies for our community, 85 years. Kiggins currently features first-run big studio and arthouse films along with classic movie revival. Check out their live events, and you can even book the theater for a private party or public event. Go to KigginsTheater.com to see how you can rediscover the joy of going out for movie night again. Showtime's booking information and more at KigginsTheater.com. This is Reimagined Radio with our adaptation of The War of the Worlds. I'm John Barber. Mysterious hydrogen gas explosions are reported on the surface of Mars. Noted astronomer Professor Rowena Pearson suggested there is no cause for concern. Let's continue now with our story. Approaching blue planet, tremendous speed. This side faces away from system star. Dark. Atmosphere thicker than my planet. Rocket capsule skips briefly, like flat stone on water. Before gravity holds it to surface. Gravity on this planet stronger than my planet. Body heavy. Difficult to control. No matter. Fighting machine provides exoskeleton. Easy to move on surface. Carry out mission. Landing soon. surface materials. View scope retracted. Cannot see what happens. Capsule stops. Oh, quiet. Except uneven cooling of metal capsule. Gravity much stronger than my world. Feel very heavy. Can barely must wait. Gather strength. Have arrived. Alive. Eager to carry out plans. I rode with the reporter, Carl Phillips, to Battleground. He told me that a large flaming object believed to be a meteorite had landed on a nearby farm. Ladies and gentlemen, 
This is Carl Phillips again at the Wilmoth Farm outside Battleground, Washington. Professor Pearson and myself are here to investigate a report of a meteor impact. We have just now arrived. I have started my mobile transmitter and will describe all that I can see here as I walk about the scene. It is night here, no moon, very dark. As others arrive, they arrange their vehicles in a circle, their headlights illuminating the crater. I guess that's it. Yes, I, I guess that's the, the the thing directly in front of me, half buried in a vast pit. I, I hardly know where to begin or, or how to paint for you a word picture of the strange scene before my eyes. It, it's like something out of a modern Arabian Nights. The object must have struck with terrible force, creating a long trench as it slid along the ground, ending in a terrific crater. The ground is covered with splinters of a tree it must have struck on its way down. What I can see of the, the object itself a, appears to be a smooth cylinder pointed at one end, much like the bullet from a very large gun. It has a diameter of, uh, what would you say, Professor Pearson? What? Oh, what's that? What is the diameter of the cylinder? Uh, I'd say about 30 yards. About 30 yards. The cylinder is, uh, well, I, I've never seen anything like it. The color is sort of yellowish white and flakes away from the surface like the ash from a burning cigarette. A reddish glow pulsates along the surface, perhaps indicating heat from the interior. Curious spectators are now pressing close to the object and in spite of the efforts of the police to keep them back, uh, they're getting in front of my line of vision. Would you mind standing to one side, please? Yes, 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 yes. excuse me. Thank you. Humans around my capsule. Like dust storms on the surface of my planet. I watch them through viewscope. Now extended. They arrive in wheeled vehicles like those sent to roam and explore my planet, looking for life signs. I see them, gathering, gesturing, unaware of what awaits them. While we wait for the police to push the crowd back, here's Mr. Grover Wilmoth owner of the farm where this object has landed. He may have some interesting facts to add. Mr. Wilmoth, would you please tell the radio audience as much as you remember of this rather unusual visitor that has dropped in your backyard? Let's step closer, please. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Mr. Wilmoth. Uh, well, like I was uh, telling that hippie over there, I, well, I was listening to the radio and Closer and louder, please. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry, what was that? Speak louder, please, and closer to the microphone. Oh, uh, right, sure. Um, <clears throat> well, I was listening to the radio, see, just kind of drowsing, and that, that woman professor, well, she was talking about Mars, so I was half... Yes, yes, Mr. Wilmoth, and then what happened? Well, uh, like, like I was saying, I was, uh... 
I was listening to the radio, you know, just kind of halfway. Yes, Mr. Woolmouth. And then you saw something? Uh, well, not first off, no. But, but I heard something. And what did you hear? Well, it was, uh, kind of a hissing sound, I guess. You know, sort of like a, a bottle rocket or maybe a Roman candle or, you know, one of them, uh... Then what? Uh, oh, well, well, then I turned my head out the window and... I would have swore I was dreaming. Yes? Well, I seen a kind of greenish streak, and then, bam! Something smacked the ground. In fact, it knocked me right out of my dang chair. Well, were you frightened, Mr. Wilmoth? Well, you know, I ain't quite sure. I reckon I, uh, well, I, I guess I was kind of riled, maybe. Thank you, Mr. Wilmoth. Uh, well, I got more to tell you. You know, I... I seen Bigfoot out there in the woods last month. No, no, no. no that, that... Well, all right then. Well, how about D.B. Cooper? Now, you know, I seen him land with his parachute. Watched him bury it, too. You know, he paid me from a big bundle of money to keep quiet, but I don't know. I reckon enough time has passed now to tell what I saw. <clears throat> so, anyway... That's right. That's fine. Thank uh, you. Are you sure? No, no, no. That well, That's quite all right. That's plenty. Well, all right then, but I'll be right over here if you need me. Uh, that's... that's Wilmoth with a U. Ladies and gentlemen, you've just heard Mr. Grover Wilmoth, owner of the farm where this thing has fallen. As I walk closer to the impact site, uh, I wish I could convey the atmosphere of this fantastic scene. Hundreds of cars are parked in the field surrounding the object. Police are trying to block off the roadway leading to the farm, but it's no use. They're breaking right through. Vehicle headlights light the pit where the object is half buried. Some daring souls venture near the edge of the pit. Their silhouettes stand out against the metal sheen of the cylinder. One man wants to touch the thing. He's having an argument with a policeman. The policeman wins. Now, ladies and gentlemen, there's there's something I haven't mentioned in all this excitement, but now it's becoming more distinct. Perhaps you've caught it already on your radio. Listen. Do you hear it? It's a curious scraping sound that seems to come from inside the object. I'll move closer so you can hear better. Now I'm not more than 25 feet away. Can you hear it now? Oh, Professor Pearson! Yes, Mr. Phillips? Can you tell us the meaning of that scraping noise inside the thing? Um, possibly it results from the unequal cooling of the cylinder's metal surface, which would have heated up unevenly as the object descended through the atmosphere before landing here. I see. Do you think it's a meteor, Professor? I don't know what to think. I have seen meteorites, both in person and documentary photographs. They're generally like big rocks, either iron or stone. Friction from the atmosphere usually tears holes in a meteorite during its descent to the surface. This object appears to present a metal casing the nature of which I have never seen before. Strangely, there is no damage to the surface of the object. Instead, there is a light, wispy coating. Perhaps the remains of the surface ablated by the intense temperature of the object's passage through the atmosphere before landing here. As I have said, the object is about 30 yards in diameter. Perhaps it is an experimental Blue Origin or SpaceX craft. 
used by billionaires racing each other to be the first space tourists. This seems unlikely, however, given the extensive media coverage of these efforts. Given the object's unique nature and unknown composition, it is perhaps not too out of line to suggest that it is extraterrestrial in origin, not found on this planet. The object is smooth, as you can see, of cylindrical... Just a minute. Something's happening. Ladies and gentlemen, this is terrific. The, the, the pointed top is beginning to rotate like the lid of a mason jar. Metal is flaking off like whispery ash. The thing must be hollow. Ladies and gentlemen, the pointed top of the cylinder has detached itself from the body and fallen to the ground. The inside of the cylinder appears to be hollow. I can see, peering out of that black hole, two luminous discs the size of dinner plates. Are they eyes? It, it might be a face. It might be... Oh, good heavens! Something's wriggling out of the darkness like a gray snake! Oh, there's another one, and another! They look like tentacles to me. There, I, I can see the thing's head! It's large, nearly four feet across, large as a bear, and it glistens like old wet leather. But that face, it... Ladies and gentlemen, it, it's indescribable. This is the most terrifying thing I have ever witnessed. I can hardly force myself to keep looking at it. The eyes gleam like a serpent. The mouth is V-shaped like the beak of a giant bird with saliva dripping from its rimless lips that seem to quiver and pulsate. The tentacles are grouped around this horrific mouth. There is no sign of a body. Whatever this thing is, it can hardly move. It seems weighed down by, possibly by gravity. I remove top of spacecraft. Great effort, more difficult than expected with heavier planet gravity. Looked outside using viewscope. Many humans surround spacecraft. Curious creatures, but meek like Wapok of my planet. Easy to scare. Inside spacecraft, begin preparations. A single pole is raising up out of the cylinder and toward the top of the crater. Atop the pole is a ball with many lenses encircling its circumference, like a Google Street View camera. The crowd falls back now. They've seen plenty. This is the most extraordinary experience. I can't find words. I'll have to take a new position. Hold on, will you please? Just one moment. Ladies and gentlemen, am I on? Yeah, you're on. Go, go, go. Our live connection was briefly cut, but we are once again connected. Ladies and gentlemen, here I am, back of a stone wall that adjoins Mrs. Wilmoth's garden. From here, I can get a sweep of the whole scene. I'll give you every detail as long as I can talk, as long as I can see. More state police have arrived. They're, they're drawing up a cordon in front of the pit, about 30 of them. 
No need to push the crowd back now. They're, they're, they're willing to keep their distance. The captain is conferring with someone. I can't quite see who it is. Oh, there. Uh, yeah, I believe it's Professor Pearson. Yes, it is. Now they've parted. The professor moves around one side, studying the object, while the captain and two policemen advance with something in their hands. I can... I can see it now. It's a... It's a white handkerchief tied to a pole. A flag of truce. If those creatures know what that means, what anything means... Wait. Something's happening. A humped shape is rising out of the pit. Up into the air above, astride a towering metal tripod featuring articulated legs, and atop them, a sort of cockpit where sits the, the thing I reported earlier, the, the head with no body. Below this shape are tentacles, several of them, like an octopus. They appear to be holding something, a, an old-fashioned lamp. I can make out a small beam of light against a mirror. What's that? There's a jet of flame springing from the mirror, and it leaps right at the advancing men. It strikes them head on. Good lord! They're turning into flame! Heat ray. Most advanced weapon. Disintegrates organic matter instantly. May promote insolvency in physical objects. I paint humans and machines with heat ray. They swirl from view like the dust before wind across surface the slide land. The flame dances across the field, igniting everything in its path. Vehicles, people, everything is engulfed in fire. The woods, the barns. Fire spreads everywhere following the flame. Vehicles are exploding. The fire is coming this way. About 20 yards, my standing in the kitchen of the farmhouse owned by Grover Wilmoth. Mr. Wilmoth is nowhere to be found. I narrowly escaped death by dropping to the ground behind a stone wall enclosing Mrs. Wilmoth's garden. When I thought it safe to do so, I ran here to the farmhouse and called the radio station using the Wilmoth's landline telephone. Luckily, my call went through, as all my broadcasting equipment and mobile telephone were destroyed by the massive electromagnetic pulse that accompanied the heat ray. I will carry the telephone with me as I move to a window and observe the scene outside. From the kitchen window, I can survey the scene of what I can only describe as a mass killing, using technology too incredible to accurately describe at this time. With me here is Professor Rowena Pearson. Professor Pearson, as a scientist, can you give us an explanation of the calamity? This is Professor Pearson speaking. Of the creatures in the cylinder at Battleground, I can give you no authoritative information, either as to their nature, their, their origin, or their purposes here on Earth. 
of their destructive instrument, I might venture some conjectural explanation. For want of a better term, I shall refer to the mysterious weapon as a heat ray. It is all too evident that these creatures have scientific knowledge far in advance of our own. It is my guess that in some way they are able to generate an intense heat in a chamber of practically absolute non-conductivity. This intense heat they project in a parallel beam against any object they choose by means of a polished parabolic mirror of unknown composition. Much as the mirror of a lighthouse projects a beam of light. That is my conjecture of the origin of the heat ray. Pathetic humans, run toward me, curious to see, but confused, because I am so different. Easy to kill with heat ray. My comrades must have similar experiences, thoughts. I hear them screaming their joy of battle. The mission for which we were trained and waited so long. Ancient ones, be pleased. Fire personnel are battling flames in the field and surrounding woods. Scouts report all quiet in the pit, and no sign of life appearing from the mouth of the cylinder, although clanging and hammering sounds are heard. I am joined now by Captain Lance Lansing of the Signal Corps, attached to the state militia. Captain Lansing, what can you tell us about this situation? This is Captain Lance Lansing of the Signal Corps, attached to the state militia, now engaged in military operations in the vicinity of Battleground, Washington. The situation arising from the reported presence of certain individuals of unidentified nature is now under complete control. Thank you, Captain Lansing. The state militia arrived and quickly established a perimeter around the capsule in its impact crater. Are they ready for whatever comes next? The cylindrical object, which lies in a pit directly below our position, is surrounded on all sides by eight battalions of infantry. They're without heavy field pieces, but adequately armed with rifles and machine guns. All cause for alarm, if such ever existed, is entirely unjustified. I can see the hiding place of these creatures plainly in the glare of the searchlights. With all their reported resources, they can scarcely stand up against heavy machine gun fire. Anyway, it's an interesting outing for the troops. I can make out their khaki uniforms crossing back and forth in front of the lights. It looks almost like a real war. One of the companies is deploying on the left flank. A quick thrust, and it will all be over. With view scope. I see humans surrounding my capsule. Watching humans for many souls, we know them to fight constantly among themselves, dressed in light armor and with hand weapons. They insult any fighter from my world. They unsure what to do. They not realize our plans for them. Now, wait a minute. I, I see something on top of the cylinder. Uh, no, it's uh, nothing but a shadow. Now, the troops are on uh, surrounding the impact crater. 7,000 armed men closing in on an old metal tube. Uh, wait, uh, that wasn't a shadow. It's something moving. Solid metal. Kind of a shield-like affair rising up out of the cylinder. 
It's going higher and higher. Why, it's, it's standing on legs, actually rearing up on a sort of metal framework, taller than a house. Now it's reaching above the trees, and the searchlights are on it. Hold on! Ladies and gentlemen, I have a grave announcement to make. Incredible as it may seem, both the observations of science and the evidence of our own eyes and ears lead to the inescapable assumption that those strange beings are the vanguard of an invading army from the planet Mars. A confrontation has just taken place at Battleground Washington and ended in one of the most startling defeats ever suffered by any army in modern times. 7,000 men, armed with rifles and machine guns, pitted against a single fighting machine of the invaders from Mars. 120 known survivors. The rest burned to cinders by the Martians' heat ray. Professor Pearson and I will return to Vancouver. I will continue my reports from there. Carl Phillips arrived in Vancouver before I. He returned to his radio station where he found his colleagues missing. He single-handedly announced the news and coordinated communication across the region for the next three days. Callers throughout the southeast are reporting a planet struck in New Jersey with monsters and anywhere from 40 to 7,000 people were killed. One telephone caller said she had loaded all her children in the car and filled it with gasoline and was going somewhere. Where was it safe? She wanted to know. A man returned home in the midst of the broadcast and found his wife with a bottle of poison in her hand screaming, quote, I'd rather die this way than like that, unquote. Marion Thoregard, here to divorce Hilsa Thoregard, collapsed fearing his wife and children in New York had been killed. Upon reviving, he immediately started east in hope of aiding the wife he was here to divorce. One woman declared she could see the fire and told the Boston Globe she and others in her neighborhood were getting out of here. A woman ran into the Methodist church screaming, New York is destroyed, it's the end of the world, you might as well go home and die. I just heard it on the radio. Five Brevard College students fainted, and panic gripped the campus for half an hour, with many students fighting for telephones to inform their parents to come and get them. Los Angeles, Salt Lake City, Beaumont, Texas, and St. Joseph, Missouri reported meteors landing nearby. An offer to volunteer in stopping an invasion from Mars came among hundreds of telephone inquiries to police and newspapers. One excited man shouted, My God, where can I volunteer my services? We've got to stop this awful thing. The lights went out in more than 1,000 homes due to electrical failure. Many thought, however, Martians had reached Washington State. Men and women prepared to take their families into the mountains. Telephone callers report they are praying. 
Ladies and gentlemen, this is Carl Phillips. I'm speaking from the roof of the Smith Tower in downtown Vancouver, Washington. From here, I can see five Martian fighting machines walking in the mighty Columbia River as easily as a human might wade a small brook. Overhead, circle eight Air Force bombers, each loaded with high-explosive bombs. The machines are closer together now. Planes circling, ready to strike. A thousand yards away, they start to dive. 800 yards, 600, 400, 200. The Martians raise their giant arms. Green flashes, they're spraying the bombers with their heat rays. Engines are giving out, no chance to release bombs. Now the engines are gone. The pilots guide their bombers toward the Martians. This is Carl Phillips, still atop the Smith Tower in downtown Vancouver. Some hours have passed. Apparently, I passed out after witnessing the total destruction of eight Air Force bombers. The bells you hear are warning people to evacuate the city as the Martians approach. No more defenses. Our army wiped out. Artillery, Air Force, everything wiped out. People are holding service below in the cathedral. As I look along the waterfront, I see all manner of boats overloaded with fleeing population pulling out from the docks and the shore. The streets are full of people like New Year's Eve. Now a fighting machine approaches the waterfront. It straddles the interstate bridge, watching, looking over the city. Its steel, cowlish head is even with the buildings along the waterfront. It waits for the others. They rise up like a line of new towers along the city's waterfront. They cry out wildly. What? Celebrating victory? We cry each other, comrades. Victory. Success. Mission complete. Humans destroyed. We die also. Unknown cause. Bodies. Pain. Hot. Cold. Weak. Movement heavy. Slow, unable, continue. Find place, rest, recover. Now oh, they're lifting their metal hands. Vancouver, Vancouver, this is it. This is the end now. Smoke comes out, black smoke drifting over the city. People in the streets see it now. People trying to run away from it, but it's no use. They're falling like flies. 
The smoke surrounding the base of Smith Tower, rising 100 yards away. That's 50 feet. You're listening to a reimagined radio adaptation of The War of the Worlds, performed by The Voices, an ensemble of spoken voice aficionados. We'll conclude our story in just a moment. Court-appointed special advocates for children known as CASA are volunteers who advocate for the best interest of children who have come into the care of the state as a result of abuse, neglect, or abandonment. You can lend your voice and volunteer with CASA to change a child's story. CASA offers virtual info sessions and training. If interested, now is the time to get involved with CASA and make a lasting difference in the lives of children and families in the foster care system. Clark County CASA is a program of the YWCA Clark County. More information available at casaclarkcounty.org. Community radio like this is brought to you by the generous support by our founding sponsors at ADCO Commercial Printing and Graphics. Clark County's local print shop since 1993, ADCO features stationery, posters, flyers, tickets, business cards, stickers, catalogs, and much more. Print on anything and mail anywhere. Learn more at adco1.com. That's A-D-C-O, the number one, dot com. KXRW would like to thank Craft Cannabis for supporting our radio community. Craft Cannabis, for 21 years and over, now has two locations in Vancouver. The newest shop is on Andreessen Road off Padden Parkway, next to Home Depot. At this location, they offer Top Shelf Tuesday, Waxy Wednesday, and Stony Sunday specials. The Millplane location is in the Height Shopping Center with Munchy Monday and Saturday specials. Ordering options include online, in-person, curbside, and express window touchless pickup to better serve you. Hours and more information available at craftcannabis.com. You are listening to Reimagined Radio, an R adaptation of The War of the Worlds, performed by The Voices. Professor Pearson while opening a new exhibition at the Clark County Historical Museum, has told us how the Martians terrorized Battleground and Vancouver, Washington. Let's listen now to her concluding remarks. When I returned to Vancouver, 
I saw a flock of blackbirds circling in the sky near Estershort Park and hurried there. There I saw the hood of a Martian machine, standing next to the bandstand gleaming in the late afternoon sun. Scattered about the park were three more of these giant metal titans. Their cowls empty, their great steel arms hanging listlessly by their sides. The Martians themselves lay on the ground nearby. Hungry birds pecked and tore brown shreds of flesh from their dead bodies. Later, when their bodies were examined in the laboratories, it was found that the Martians were killed by common earth bacteria against which their systems were unprepared. Slain after all humankind's defenses had failed by a small but deadly foe. Their death left unanswered the question of why Martians invaded Earth. Another recording discovered while preparing this exhibit provides an answer. Ancient ones chose blue planet, breed different life forms, large bodies of water, stable atmosphere, varied environments, promising for their experiments. New life evolved. Ancient ones turned attentions elsewhere. They left us. Sarmaks on closest planet, hidden from view. With mission to destroy Blue Planet's dominant species if it became destructive. Humans seek immediate gain, not consider long-term consequences Constantly warring against each other, destroying air and water and other life forms. Make planet unable to support life. We'll move to other planets, escape the death of their own. This cannot happen. Must destroy these humans, prevent continued destruction of themselves their planet. Our fighting machines will overcome resistance. Ladies and gentlemen, in conclusion, please consider these points. First, we were scrutinized unstudied, perhaps almost as narrowly as a person with a microscope might scrutinize the transient creatures that swarm and multiply in a drop of water. We were watched closely by intelligences greater than, yet mortal as our own. With infinite complacence across an immense ethereal gulf, the Sarmaks, cool and unsympathetic, regarded our activities and slowly and surely drew their plans against us. The destruction of the Martians may be only a reprieve to them and not to us. The future is perhaps ordained, unless we can change our destructive ways.
That concludes our reimagined radio adaptation of The War of the Worlds by H.G. Wells, performed for you by The Voices. You heard Mark Rose as The Martian, Bradley Richardson as Museum Director, Patricia Blem as Professor Rowena Pearson, Rod Hill as Weather Announcer, Lawrence Overmeyer as Carl Phillips, Jeff Pollard as Grover Wilmoth, Bruce Miles as Captain Lance Lansing, Stephanie Crowley as Ham Radio Operator, News Montage Segments by Aaron Buckley, Laura Dine, Devin James, Billy Bryan, Jeff Pollard, and Stephanie Crowley. Sound design, music, and post-production by Mark Rose of Fuse Audio Design. Social media by Regina Carroll Social Media Management. Graphic design by Holly Slocum Design. This is a production of Reimagined Radio. Our radio broadcasts are heard on local, regional, and international community radio stations. For streaming, point your browsers to the Sonic Society and Mutual Audio Network websites. You can also stream from our own website and subscribe to our snappy email program guide, www.reimaginedradio.net. That's reimaginedradio, all one word, no punctuation, Net. This is John Barber, producer and host. Thank you so much for listening, and please join us again next month for our Candy Matson tribute, a celebration of the weekly radio drama series noted for its strong female protagonist. Candy Matson was an intelligent, no-nonsense detective. She was driven, relentless, and disarming, a compelling alternative to the popular male detective's radio genre and the best of the popular female detective programs. We'll listen to the first and last episodes of Candy Matson, which provide a fine overview of the evolution of this all-too-brief radio drama series. Please join us. Not adjust your sets. You're tuned to Wednesday Wonders on the Mutual Audio Network. Tomorrow on Mutual is Thursday Thrillers, our roundup of action, adventure, mystery, crime drama, and thrillers, of course. Subscribe to the full Mutual Audio Network feed for every day of diverse audio tales. Or find the Thursday Thrillers feed in your favorite podcast players. The Mutual Audio Network. Listening and imagining together.